Welcome to Master Mentors, a series where Brad Sugar sits down and interviews leading authors, business owners, influential decision makers, public speakers, and anyone who's making a major difference in the world today. People we can learn from together. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play to get more of these great learnings. And joining me today, uh, legendary Australian cricket coach John Buchanan. How are you doing, John? Thanks for joining us on the call. Yes, very well, Brad. Now, John, you know, I've, I've just had, uh, it's just been Australia Day. I've been to the Rugby Sevens. Uh, I've watched the cricket over the weekend all the way from Australia here on the internet. And, but if we're talking team building, obviously something that uh, served you well in your early days and, and, and then as a coach and everything. What do you think are some of the things that people really need to understand to build a great team? What are some of the most important factors? Look, I think there's probably five cornerstones to not only building a successful team, but actually then obviously maintaining one. So it's all very well to sort of climb to the top, but you want to really stay there as long as you possibly can. So uh, one of the first things I guess I always look at is, is just having a really... Uh, clear picture about what it is that you want to be, where you want to go, you know, where you want to take a particular team. And I guess I'm speaking from a coach's point of view, or I don't really differentiate too much between coach, manager, leader, and parent, for that matter. Um, mm. Yeah. So it's about it's about having this clear picture, and then and then working out some some broad uh, strategies, some some yeah, overarching strategies, which then you know you begin to tease out as. Um, as you need them, so meaning that you, your day-to-day uh, strategy will be different to what your overarching strategies are, but they all link together. So just mm-hmm. really having a quick picture. So to give you an example, um, when uh, when I came into the Australian cricket team, uh, which was '99, um, again I just felt that you know they had been going very well, but I just believed that they were still scratching at the surface. So. One of the initial conversations was around um, we're all taking this journey to Everest. Now, that's a bit of a symbol, but it's clear in terms of, I think, the underlying message in, in what it is that we're trying to achieve. We're actually trying to achieve something very special that either not many teams have done or, or haven't done before. So that's where we wanted to be. Mm. Um, and, and that was always the aiming point. We linked that up then with other things like uh, the Invincibles, uh, which was a you know, a great Australian team in the in the late 40s. But the reason for that was to really uh, link back into important traditions that I think are really one of the key values that, that should, Im- should be embraced by any team or any organisation. Just if, yeah. if you haven't got those traditions, you need to create them. You know, you need yeah. to actually have, have those sorts of things that, that are part of your fabric. You mentioned values there, buddy. Values is something that, you know, I know for us as business people, it's pretty hard for people to sort of grasp how well you define that. How did, how did you do that with, with the team? I mean, how did you define the values? What was the strategy behind that for you? I just think it's uh, living it. Uh, it's your actions and behaviour. So, you know, a team like us or an organisation or a small business, you know, you can sit down and spend hours and hours writing down a whole set of words and phrases and um, things that charters that you might wish to put on the wall and that that's all very well but in the end if you can't actually live or breathe them then there's no point in putting them up on the wall so uh, while we may have done that I think really the essence was always firstly me as coach um, 
I had to do what I say I was going to do, and that's again one of the thing I think one of the cornerstones of a of a great team that leaders have got to walk the walk, they've got to talk the talk, they've got to breathe and live everything that they believe is important to the team. So if it's if one of your values for me is is hard work. Uh, then I not only need to talk about it, but I need to demonstrate it just clearly and visibly all the time. And that can be by way of planning, preparation, uh, as well as just hands-on around the team at any given moment in time. So I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to um, emphasise it. It's visible. And I think that's that's really the best way that any particular value that a team or a business feels is important to them in their culture they, they've got to do it, and the leaders have got to demonstrate that consistently when it's when it's happening. And, and one of the best ways, I think, to to ensure that it continues to happen is is that you highlight it. You know, you celebrate your successes. So, all very well to celebrate team wins and series wins and so on, which you should do. Uh, but I always made sure that if there was some sort of value or somebody did something that really highlighted the sorts of things that we needed to have in our team and needed to have individuals demonstrate daily, then I'd find a way to celebrate that, either mm-hmm. in a team meeting, talk about the individual, or we might create some special little awards. And, and it, it, it was about this process of making sure that those things were always front and centre of people's minds. Yeah, yeah, very, very powerful. So back to your five main points then. The clear hmm. picture and the broad strategies, obviously, are, are very, very important getting clarity of picture. Was, was there something for, for the team when you were coaching them that, you know, when did you define stuff with a vision or was it just, you know, a broad stroke of it? Yeah, no, that, that would be um, threaded through everything we did. So this everything is something obviously very special. Not many people can do it and a lot of people try and, and don't get there. Um, but no, it would then be brought down, as I said, either into a daily um, ritual or even into a series thing. So an example would be, um, I believe that our team should be, again, creating something that nobody else had done, and that was in a one-day uh, format. We should be the first international team to score 400. So that was the picture. That was the, the Everest that we were going to climb, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then we set about achieving that. Um, so, so um, yeah, that vision and, and strategy was always there, but, but trying to clearly uh, define it, as I said, either minutely um, on a daily basis or even down to a training session, um, mm-hmm. but also into a series, into a year. Um, when we, uh, or my last 20 months, I suppose, after uh, we'd come back from England in 2005, and had lost the, the Ashes, so there was lots of uh, conjecture about whether I should be retained as coach, and I needed to be able to uh, convince the board why I should be retained, um, which is another another story. But but the end part of that the end part of that story was again going to the board with a clear picture, and that was in the next 20 months, and I believed that was about as long as I uh, should remain in the role. But we were going to climb what I termed the big three. <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of that period, and that big three was uh, a, a tournament in India, which we hadn't won a Champions Trophy. Then England were revisiting us, um, and so it was about regaining the Ashes. And then the third of the big three uh, was to go to the West Indies and 
win a third consecutive World Cup. So again, it was you know pending time frame, pending situation. It was always the notion was Everest, but what does that actually mean? What was the picture? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I think a lot of business people, you know, that that whilst they have a picture of where they want to go long term, they don't break it down into every single day and every single week, looking at personal bests as you sort of looked at it there, you know, how do you have a personal best each day, week, month, year, each series, as you call it, or each year? I think that's important. So what else do we need to work on? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and I was just going to highlight that. So when you come back to values and so on, I mean, one of the key values for me is just honesty. Um, and that's honest with myself, but honest with those around me. So your point then about... Um, individuals looking at personal bests, it's so important that an individual, if you like, walks onto a training field or goes to work that particular day and at the end of the day or even through the course of the day, you know, has those sort of honest conversations with themselves. Am I doing everything I can do here to try and achieve an outcome of it being the best I can do? Now, there's no guarantees in that. Obviously, there's lots of things that come to impact on on how you perform on any particular day but nonetheless the things that you control which is you know pretty important you can only deal with those things you can control have I done everything I can do um, in my own mind and and in my own way and if I have well terrific you know that that's all I can do so I think you know that value is is critical, and and certainly I've worked in organisations and teams where a lot of lip service is paid to that. Um, and obviously, if it's only lip service, then uh, it creates uh, an environment where there is little honesty, therefore little trust, little integrity, and and obviously results. Uh, uh, yeah. Show. Yeah, but it, look in so, sport, yeah. the, the way you go with sport, you've always got an opposition who's trying to get better, so you've got to always be striving to get better at everything that you possibly do. And I think one of the challenges for business people is that they don't have an immediate competition. It's not like we go to a game on the weekend and we know if we won or lost or not. How, how do you translate that for, as a businessman now? How do you translate that? Is there an easy way to do that or is it something that's still pretty tough to do? No, look, I think it's quite simple. And in fact, um, you know, one of the things that we did as a sporting team, yes, there is always opposition and, and yes, you get a measure of potentially how you're going every week with, you know, win-loss. Um, but ultimately, it was really all about us. I, while I would scan the horizon and you know what your opposition was doing, it was all about us. It was, You know, we were the ones that wanted to set the benchmarks. We were the ones that... Uh, knew exactly what we were doing and how we are going about that. So you, your competition is really yourself. Your competition is looking at yourself and in everything that you do, what can I improve here? What can be done better? And there's, you know, it, it, it's endless and therefore then you have to begin to, to set priorities. So just for, a, you know, any small business, I think it's exactly the same picture. Um, you, you're in competition with yourself. On a, on a daily basis, on a regular basis. So that's the, whatever you do today, the theory is tomorrow is, is better. So today should be a benchmark of what you can do and then tomorrow you aim to be better. I think the other thing that, that businesses can do, though, is set up notional scoreboards, if you like. Um, so with um, uh, maybe it's KPIs, maybe it's, you know, 
the way you look at punctuality or the dress code mm-hmm. or uh, any of those sorts of things that are uh, easily seen, easily measured, um, and it doesn't become too onerous for a business, um, but place them up where people can see, you know. And and here we are. This is this is our scoreboard uh, at the end of this week or at the end of this fortnight, and and this is how we're going. And those sort of things um, begin to, I think, send significant messages in and around your your group. So I, I think mm. again, sport and business really aren't too diverse in what they do. It's just about then managers, I suppose, being just a little bit creative in, in thinking that through and how they can put that into their own uh, environment. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the biggest challenges a lot of businesses have is they don't measure anywhere near enough. How important was measurement for you on a daily, weekly, even a game basis when, when you were trying to manage the team? Oh, look, it was it was huge. Um, that's one of the cornerstones of, of creating a you know, a high-performance team, a team that will be successful over time. It is about what are these things called success measures. And again, from a, a business's point of view or a sporting team's point of view, you do get results. You know, So a business, um, maybe they, they get their quarterly results or their six-monthly or yearly, and, and that, you know, that does mean it goes out over a period of time. And that's why we come back to the fact that, well, maybe they've got to create uh, a scoreboard, if you like, in inverted commas, where they are looking at their results or, you know, uh, quantitative results on a on a fortnightly basis. So from a sporting team's point of view, as we said, they get those results weekly. Uh, individuals mm. get those results virtually weekly. But for me, the most important results, and and as a sporting team or a coach, you can't get away from the fact that you, you, you've got to win or, or you lose, and therefore there are consequences of that. But it was always, how do we get there? What are the things that are going to enable us to get those results? And not only get those results, but improve those results. So that, that's the whole concept of process, I suppose. So, yeah. for instance, um, you know, if we uh, were trying to win a one-day series and, and going back into the Australian team, we, we had things called patience or partnerships and pressure. You know, you... If you played patiently and, and you could create uh, some pressure or build partnerships, you can create some pressure. And if you can do all those things, well, then, you know, results should come. Um, but we needed to understand what that meant. So patience would be, in a batting sense, well, that meant the longer that a batsman could remain at the crease before they lost their wicket, the more balls they faced. The more balls they faced means the more runs that they should be able to score. And so we would break it down into those, and that was the technical side of the game, and provide that feedback to players at appropriate times. Or if we looked at the physical aspect of the game, there would always be the physical measures uh, that players were needing to reach to ensure that they were in the best possible shape to deliver the sort of results that we were looking for. And, of course, we're always trying to increase those measures so that if we wanted to be climbing Everest, if we wanted to achieve things that other teams haven't haven't done before, uh, then those measures always had to be tracking in the right direction. And uh-huh. so, yeah, it was a combination of, of process results, or sorry, process measures, uh, and then our result measures, and really trying to celebrate all of those to ensure that they were done consistently, but always improving. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think there's so many lessons in there for business people that, you know, and, and there's always the whole, I don't have time to do that excuse that we get, which is kind of like the dog ate my homework for adults. But, 
you've got to make the time. Did you, did you almost have to have people whose job it was, John, to, to do that, to keep the stats for you and to keep the measures? Yes, look, um, when I first took over the role of coach for Queensland, which was Queensland Bulls, which was back in the mid-90s, 94, um, you know, teams up until that point had always existed on that intuition um, mm. and and the results measures. So, in other words, uh, at the end of the game, yes, he, so-and-so scored so many runs or so-and-so took so many wickets or so-and-so you know, took a catch or whatever it might be, and there was a result, win, loss or draw. Um, and so when you then moved to the next game, it was about, well, I, I recall this or I think that... Um, and here's here's our numbers currently. You average this, and and um, and so on. So that was, the, I guess, the level of uh, cricket measurement at that point in time. So I believed it was so important that there was technology out there that we didn't want to necessarily throw away the baby with the bathwater because there is so much knowledge, experience, and intuition, which is really important in terms of how a team operates. But if we could add to that we could make that more precise, if we could actually analyse uh, with hard data to back up some of that in intuition or indeed challenge that intuition. And then also the data which was we captured then virtually every ball, uh, video and, and numbers. We could then provide far better feedback to our, our players as well, so again more precise. So in the mid-90s we were the first team to introduce computer technology to provide that sort of backup uh, to the players' uh, experience and knowledge. And, and, you know, that's continued on since then and, and uh, the world, mm. cricket world anyway. Um, everybody uses that in their own way, shape or form now. So to do that, though, you, you know, again, I think obviously it's not necessarily um, um, totally pertinent for all businesses, but... Nonetheless, most businesses these days do have a, a, some sort of IT system and it's it's pretty uh, simple to get a program written um, and there's probably plenty of off-the-shelf ones out there that you can actually plug in your business, put in your numbers and they will show you in a, in a purely objective quantitative sense some of the things that you want to track and how you're tracking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So going on with your top five then, uh, where do we go from there? Well, um, I mentioned leadership before. So the leadership culture is, again, one of the critical elements of building a high-performance team. So leadership culture is, in my mind, three parts. So one I already mentioned was the leader. The leader needs to walk the walk, talk the talk, and so on. But what's important in behind that is that you want people in your organisation or in your team that want to lead, not necessarily in any formal way, in other words, being a captain or a vice-captain or assistant coach or whatever, but... Um, they want to actually just lead by example. They want to lead by their deeds. They want to lead by their actions, their behaviours. And so um, we need to actually ensure that these members, which are generally our, the players or your staff in a business, uh, have that capacity to do that. You want to give them those opportunities to lead. And, and to some degree, that can then also lead to succession planning because in many organisations, um, as you operate with teams within teams, you're constantly trying to identify those people who might have the skills, if you like, or at least demonstrated uh, actions that would suggest they could gradually move up the line if they had that ambition to do that. So we're really trying to ensure that everybody's a leader 
everybody's a leader in that organisation so that when they make decisions on behalf of the organisation, they're good decisions and they assist mm. how the team's performing. And the third part about leadership culture then is going back to what we were just saying there before. You're trying to look at the systems that you run, you know, your processes, but more the systems. And 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 are they um, at cutting edge, at leading edge, or or are they hoping to be there? So whether it's an IT system, um, gee, whether it's a, a recruitment system. Um, whether it's a reporting system, etc., you know, are they of use to us? Are they of value? If they are, then how are we actually looking to improve those? How are we actually looking around to see what other organisations use or other systems out there that could benefit our our team or our organisation? So it's really mm. grabbing the best of the best and trying to put it into your organisation and make it yeah. uh, useful for you. So leadership culture, three parts to that. It's not just one thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Just on that last part, uh, a real interesting one. A lot of businesses become very insular. In other words, they, they, you know, they get very stuck in their own way of doing things. How did you with the team keep a, a bit of an outward focus or how did you keep a, an eye on what everyone else was doing and that sort of thing? How did you do that? Um, one of the ways that we did that was definitely try to get outside the dressing room, if you like, get outside the, of the cricket environment uh, and that was either by way of bringing other people in um, at team meetings, team functions, and they could be other sports people, they could be business people, they could be leaders in, in any way, shape or form. And and just in a fairly relaxed and social environment, have them intermingle with, with us and talk about what they did and, and, and yeah, their, could be their career, could be their life. Um, it was certainly one of my jobs always, though, to um, make sure that we didn't just live inside the little bubble um, and I guess I was always trying to ensure we collectively did that and, and that was done by um, either various exercises that we might undertake one was around just learning, not learning but um, delivering poetry so trying to get people to do something that they hadn't done before um, it was also around about creating words and, and trying to expand people's, I guess, vocabulary. It was around um, individuals talking to each other, but not just on cricket, but about themselves, about their life and things that were important to them. So it was always designed to, to look at the whole person uh, rather than just this, this cricket person or, in a business sense, rather than just a staff person. You know, the, the staff that comes to work every day, as indeed the leader does, but there's so many things going on at home. There's so many things going on in their life. And uh, often they will impact directly on the way that that person performs on that day. So mm. we need to, again, create that sort of environment where they don't feel isolated. They don't feel that um, talking about some of the things that they would like to reflect on, personal, emotional, spiritual, whatever, uh, can't be done in the workplace. And uh, and that there is an environment that is supportive of that, and I guess that leads into one of the third cornerstones. It's around this whole learning environment. It's around an environment that is challenging. Um, it wants the individual, as I said before, it wants them to be a leader and give them the opportunity to do that. Uh, so to do that, it wants them to become their own best coach. 
um, you know, wants them to un- each person to understand themselves and understand how they best operate to give themselves the best chance of performing. And of course, to do that, it means you're going to place them in challenging situations for which they may not be accustomed or may not necessarily be totally skilled to do it. Therefore, mistakes will occur. But understanding the individual, understanding that that's fine. That's what learning is going to be about. You know, if we're going to grow as an individual, and therefore grow as a team. Uh, we've got to learn from the things that we not only do well, but also the things that we, you know, not so good at. And then how do we keep improving that? So the leader then needs to create that environment to support them, because just like your twins, you know, or the two children you already had, I mean, you know, at a soon in a period of time, they're going to start wanting to walk, aren't they? They're going to try to sit up, and, and they're going to fall over, and. And that's part of learning. That's how we all have learned. But there's a lovely supportive environment around there, a parenting environment that sort of picks them up a little bit, gives them a cuddle, and says, we'll have another go, you know. And so that's yeah. really what we're trying to achieve. But in a, now, you know, I live in America most of the time now, and I do business in 50 countries. But coming back to Aussie, one of the things that I notice is there is almost a lot bigger fear of making a mistake. There's that tall poppy type thing of, you know, don't don't go for it. How did you deal with that? Was there, was there a cultural thing to try and keep it different inside the team or, or was it just something that a culture you'd built that just stayed that way? What, what were your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of business owners struggle with just even success. I, I think, John, you know, some people, they, they just have a challenge with being successful and how... You know, maybe it's not the best thing to be a, a successful person, or they might feel a bit too lonely being out in front. Did you have to deal with that with the team, or we did? Yeah, we did many a time because um, you know we had a, I think, a very successful period of time around eight to ten years um, where Australia dominated international cricket, and there were often calls for us to in essence slow down you know let everybody else catch mm. up yeah. and uh, that was a constant message uh, within our group was that it's not our job to slow down our job is to keep creating new benchmarks our job is to um, yeah just taking the game to whatever level we can possibly do and let others look at what we do and then try and copy and emulate and try and catch up um, and whether that be at an individual level or whether that be at a team level, I mean that was uh, always the message that that we would have within our culture. It, you know that the more that we um, slowed down or stagnated or tread water, uh, it just means, as you know, in any business, the, the good business people are the ones that are looking at what other successful businesses are doing. They, they're trying to find out why that works and then grab that either by grabbing um, personnel or grabbing systems, putting it in their own business and then accelerating mm. the progress of their business. So if, if you as a leading organisational team begin to slow down, it's not long before they overtake you. And, and, and of course, there's a real lag time then, as we've just seen with the Australian cricket team these days, that once that occurs, it, it, there is a fair degree of lag time bet- between when you slow down and when you can begin the process of rebuilding and accelerating again, which it seems is, is beginning at the moment. So yeah. that, that was always we were always faced with that, either individually or collectively, um, and would be criticised publicly for that. Um, the tall puppy syndrome would come in where they'd look at. Microscop- microscopically look at the team and, and begin mm, to mm. 
uh, pull apart some of the things that they didn't like about how we were doing what we were doing, uh, whether yeah. it's the you know behaviour or being too aggressive on the field or whatever it might have been. And, and to some degree, there, there, there was some valid criticism which we could address, but never did we ever take on board the fact that we should um, not be uh, the front runners. Yeah, yeah, I remember we had uh, Sir Clive Woodward come and speak for us in Portugal last year, and you know, a very big part of his message is how you stay with that mindset of success is not only okay, it's it's you know we deserve it, where it's okay with it, and that sort of thing. And I think that. You know, in, in business, you know, because there's a financial factor of success. And I know some of our clients, and, and, and John, I mean, they're, they're very successful business people. And it's one of the reasons we do the awards, because I think business people should be acknowledged and and, and given the, the accolades to a high degree. But a lot of them do struggle with it. And I know that, you know, having cricket is far more in the public eye than, than, than our, our business owners are. So... It makes it a lot uh, harder for you guys. So what else have we got to do to build that strong team? And then I want to focus a little more on success for everybody listening. Yeah, look, um, we've, we've mentioned four. So vision and strategy, your leadership culture, uh, the learning environment and success, me- success uh, measures. The last one really is um, your talent, obviously. I mean, it's... Um, it's often a, um, a luxury, I suppose, to become to, to go into a team or organisation and be able to, you know, revamp uh, the people that are in there and begin to put a whole new group together. More often than not, is the case that you you know you inherit and you need to understand what you should do with those people. So it comes back to vision in the first place. I think it comes back to where is it that as a leader or coach manager, you want to take your team, so what that picture is. And that really begins to help you identify the type of people that you want um, to get there, help you get there. And um, one of the, the critical things is, in a sporting sense, you know, we look at them technically, you know, their, their skill base, we look at them physically, uh, how they can actually... Um, withstand the demands of what we're going to ask of them. We look at them um, tactically, you know, how they make decisions, and we look at them mentally, I mean, just being able to be uh, in the moment and make a good decision or select from your, your smorgasbord and make good decisions. So, so we look at talent that way, but importantly, I think, the other factor for me is that I want different talent. I want different people. I want conflict in my in my organisation in my team, um, because with with conflict that means that there everybody's always challenging each other. There's always uh, debate and discussion about you know whether the strategy is the right way, whether the planning is right, you know whether uh, the support servicing around the group is is right. So that to me is really important. Therefore, the role of the leader and the manager and the coach is is to manage that. Uh, because if if you let conflict obviously get out of hand or you don't deal with it, then it becomes quite cancerous. So uh, what we need to do is make sure that the conflict that uh, develops between different personalities and characters is managed well and therefore it becomes a healthy outcome and helps you drive towards that vision that yeah. you uh, wanting to achieve. So, Buddy, well, uh, you, you definitely had some serious characters on your teams over the years. Um, yeah. 
you know, I, I remember chatting with Wayne Bennett years ago and, and Wayne sort of talking about how, you know, when you get great talent, it takes a really strong leader to manage them and that you, you have to almost manage each of them individually. Did you did you have to work and, and know each personality to oh, be able to manage them yeah. better and stuff? Totally. I mean, I think, you know, that's really the key to, again, going back to coaching, leading, managing, parenting. It's about relationships, simple as that. And and you can only establish relationships uh, with people as you get to know them as a person and really try to get to know them as much as you can. Now, obviously, um, in life, you don't necessarily get on with everybody or everybody doesn't get along with you, even though you'd like that as an outcome. It just doesn't happen. So uh, for me, within the Australian cricket team, there were some people that you know I could get really close to and there were some that would always retain their distance from me but nonetheless there was still a relationship and I had to work out then for those whom I couldn't get close enough to how did I get to understand them better and how did I uh, you know get to get my messages through to them and also at the same stage hear the messages that they were probably trying to relay to me but weren't able to do so and so Mm. you find other ways to do that that can be through peers that can be through parents that can be through um, just uh, manufactured situations that you can set up with that individual so you can have some of the conversations that you need to Um, so it is about it's just about relationships always about relationships and the other thing for me would be but I guess I would always, um, I mean, we've all got egos, there's no question of that, and, uh, and obviously um, an athlete um, sometimes can have a very, very uh, strong ego. They can always be <laughs> You definitely have a couple of those too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you've got to work out when to keep your ego in your back pocket, you know, so yeah. that you don't uh, fracture the relationship, even though the relationship might be strong. It can still be broken, and and once a relationship is broken, it's very hard to get it back. Mm. Yeah, going back to the whole talent situation, I think that business people can learn a very big amount from sporting teams on talent. There's just the amount of energy and effort you guys put into recruiting and training the right talent. Most business owners don't put enough energy and effort into that. Can, give us a bit of your insight as to what you've seen as a business person about you know that that how you applied a lot of what you learned in the sporting field to to business and and hiring the right people? Um, Well, well, firstly, one of the things I guess I really notice is... um, Well, two things that come to mind immediately. Um, One would be one we've already sort of touched on, and that would be uh, where you've got a group of people that work in your business and one of them's sort of elevated out of that group to be the supervisor. You know, for whatever reason, you've decided they're the supervisor, um, and it's generally because they seem to have a little bit more maturity. Maybe generally they're probably the best skilled of the group, um, and possibly they are a slightly better communicator, at least with you, than some of the others. Um, so they're kind of elevated into the supervisor role. What happens then, though, is that um, the business leader loses so much opportunity to work with that person in the group because they don't actually give them any skills. They don't give them any sort of managerial leadership or group skills, how to actually deal with this group and and feel the sort of um, 
um, understanding, you know, that intuition that the group has of the business back to you and vice versa, you not being able then to communicate some of the things that you want back into that group through this person. So that's one thing I think uh, businesses really miss out on. If they have some supervisors, they really need to look at um, how they can support them better in terms of them being um, far better skilled at, at running a group, pulling yeah, a group together yeah. and, and so on. I remember as a kid, John, when, when uh, I wondered why my dad was away for a few months and my mom told me it was because he was promoted to a manager. And that meant he had to go to training school for several months to learn how to be a manager. I talked to business people today about how much training did you put into that person when you promoted them to manager. And, oh, we told them they had the job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it's right. pretty scary. It is, and, and obviously there's still a lot of things that are done on the job. You le- we all learn on the job, but nonetheless there are so many things that we could actually put in place to give that person some support. And I think that's the other thing around this, the whole sort of talent. It, it is about the listening. There, there is so much um, knowledge of your business out there and in your business um, that we neglect. And I guess that's one of the things that I took from the way that I operated with the team. that I, I didn't believe I was the expert. You know, I just believed that I had some expertise. Um, but in terms of a cricket sense, because, again, gee, I played one unsuccessful season for Queensland, you know, back in the late 70s, and yet here I was talking to the Ricky Ponnings and the Shane Warns and the Glenn McGraths, etc., of the cricket world, greats of the cricket world. Um, so to me, there was so much expert and expertise in the group. My job was to harness that. My job was to bring that out and utilise that for our benefit. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's so important for any business that there is that knowledge and information in their business. There, they need to have that ability and spend the time and become a little bit more strategic. Because one of the things you talk about in your sessions, isn't it? It's about gradually mm-hmm. developing the time as a, as a business owner so that you can do some other things, which is part of that being far more strategic with your business and far more concerned about your people and putting in place some systems process to, to enable that to happen. Doing yeah. that, I mean, just doing that means that those individuals finally feel that they're being recognised or at least listened to. And if their words and thoughts are not actioned or, or, um, or dealt with anyway... The, the owner still then spends the time to make sure that they clearly understand why that hasn't happened. And yeah. uh, and I think that's so important to building that team, really building a strong unit. Yeah, and it's, it's a never-ending task. It's not like you can build a team and then next week you go, geez, I've got the team built, now let's go on to other stuff. It's, it's a permanent, all-day, every-day thing. How did you deal with both that and also the... I think a lot of business owners would like to get a bit of an idea as to how do you decide when someone needs to be off the team? You know, what is your decision-making capabilities there and how did that fit in with it? Yeah. Um, well, you're right. I mean, it, I think as a, as a manager, leader, coach, uh, if you're not committed to being in it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then it makes it a very difficult job, you know. And I think that's one of the salient messages. I remember when I was... Um, a young teacher at one stage um, and probably not being well prepared and well thought through and um, coming into a class, an adult class and delivering a bit of a poor lecture rather than a, um, a, a session where it would be interactive. 
I walked away from that and felt that I didn't want to come back the next night. And, of course, as soon as that happens, your whole team or the people that I was dealing with knew that. Um, um, you can feel that. You can sense that. You can hear it in your words. Mm. You can see it in your actions. So I think from a coaching point, you, you know, if you're not prepared to be there 24-7, then probably it's not the job for you and it's time to look elsewhere. So you need to have that really strong commitment uh, to do that. In terms of the individuals that uh, may or may not fit into your uh, your team and your framework going forward, I think for me it was always... I'd always want to give people an opportunity to be there. You know, I'd always... And it, probably a number of people would see me to be naive in that regard, that I gave people a lot of chances. Uh, but I always believed uh, that you could you could get them there and there was so much that they had to offer. So I'd, I'd mm-hmm. try to give them as much opportunity and, and always try to be pretty clear on what it is, you know, your expectations, what their roles were um, and really, I guess, trying to make them as accountable for their own actions uh, as, as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And constantly having conversations with them uh, about... Maybe it's training, maybe it's about some of their decision-making. Um, again, dealing with that whole person, trying to find out whether there are other issues. Uh, but ultimately, if if that isn't working, then really where you're trying to get to is to have that person self-dismiss. In other words, when you're having that conversation and you are saying, well, we, we all understood and you understood and you, we all agreed, you know, here's the role, here are the here are the things that have to be done, here are our expectations, and now here's your performance, and it still isn't matching. So, what, you know, what do you think about that? And and if, you've, if we've had all the conversations along the way, then the individual will say, well, I'm just, I'm just not up to it, you know, or can I have a second chance, or whatever it might be. And we mm. go down that route about, well, look, we've all had, you know, giving you so many opportunities here, um, and and yet you're demonstrating consistently that you're either not prepared to meet the standards that we want, or you just can't deliver them. So where do we go from here? Um, yeah. And, um, that that's that's the nice, in a sense, the nice way. It takes longer to get there, um, I suppose, and and whether or not people have got the time to do that, the resources to do that, the patience to do that. Uh, the desire to do that. I mean, they're all questions that that only individual, you know, teams leaders can can answer. But but you are trying to do that all the time. You are trying to deal with each individual, you know, because that again is just about relationship. If all we do is put a a blanket across everybody and treat them exactly the same, and then some will respond to that, some can hide underneath that, and some will really reject that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we talk about success, because you know, I mean, to be really blunt, John, you know, you've you've reached the absolute pinnacle of success in coaching the best team in the world, arguably one of the best teams of all time. Handling success or becoming successful, how, how do you, not, not with the team, but yourself, how do you yourself get to that point where, you know, there's obviously got to be some habits or rituals or things that got you there. What what are some of the keys that you would have for people that you think these are the things that should be really important for you to focus on? Yeah, look, I think um, the, the most important thing is that the, the coach, the leader, the manager uh, has a very clear 
understanding of themselves. Just a very, very clear picture. I mean, again, a lot of uh, businesses and, and organisations that I deal with, I would think 80, possibly even up to 90% of those that are in uh, leadership roles really don't understand themselves. So in other words, on a daily basis, that they, they manage, they lead, they might do a fantastic job. But what I really mean is is that people need to nut down, you know, why do I do what I do? What do I believe in? What are my cornerstones? What do I stand for? Uh, because it's it's those critical reference points that are the basis of, coming back to this word relationships, are the basis of why you have that relationship with, with other people. Because in the end, you know, we're all in the people industry, really, unless... I haven't really yet met anybody that's only dealing with machinery. Um, so we're all in the people industry. So it's all about these relationships, and it's all about therefore what are the what is what does the person expect of me, and what they expect of me is to be consistent. They mightn't like me. Uh, they mightn't like the the messages that I deliver, uh, and so on. Uh, but in the end, they know what I stand for. They just know exactly what I stand for. So coming back to that Queensland um, job, uh, which was in the mid-90s, when I went for that job, it, it actually it was a watershed moment for me as a coach. It made me stop and think, if I'm now going to try and convince a selection panel that I should take over the Queensland coaching job from uh, Jeff Thompson, who had been there for four years, a, an Australian cricketing stalwart, hero, um, etc. And and also Queensland had never won this thing for 69 years of trying. How was I going to convince them about what it is that I was going to do differently to give them an opportunity to do that? You know, So it meant that I had to work out, well, who am I? How am I going to do this? So it, it did actually make me then reflect for a few weeks, um, go back, school days, parents, teachers, uh, coaches, uh, then peers that I've met and played with and, and my experiences within cricket and so on and then I guess all my education and learning and so on and not all the good and the bad, you know, and in the end, you know, I, I nutted down who I was and and for me that's just the critical part of dealing with any, anything, success, lack of success, new role, um, taking a team somewhere into the future. Without that, um, I think your foundations are, are quite wobbly, you know. So I, I just can't stress enough, I think, that, that managers, leaders, coaches, etc., really need to understand that. And, and often I'll, I'll go to a seminar and say, right, well, if I ask anybody in the audience now in 30 seconds or less for you to get up and tell me, you know, basically your philosophy, the way that you operate, the way that you lead manage, not many people can do that. And I think that's just a critical step. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's very hard to manage someone else if you don't know your own styles, your own methodologies, your own way of doing things. So, look, John, overall, I mean, obviously you're coming to our Business Excellence Forum. It's about celebrating great entrepreneurs and helping them become even better at what they do and build even better businesses and better employees. Um I think that it's very, I mean, for me, there's a level of pragmatism in what you teach that is just so straight to the point, but also 
you know, it's something that a lot of business people, you know, we, we forget about it on a day-to-day basis. How, how did you keep yourself really focused day-to-day on making sure these core things were, were there every day? Is there anything that, that kept you focused or was it, uh, you know, is there, is there a strategy you had for that? <laughs> Just what we said. I mean, I, I saw my role um, as really, I guess, the the steward, the navigator, you know, the the, the last uh, support mechanism around the side and the group, you know, that um, I tried to be as objective as I could to sense any signs that were suggesting whether they'd be quantitative or qualitative, uh, that were suggesting we're off track. And um, I would just keep coming back to my own, again, philosophies. Uh, and principles, you know, and I, I just believed if if I could l- make sure I lived those and checked in on those every day, virtually every day, uh, then I believed I could uh, assess where we're at and either uh, set about making change or, um, you know, just sit, sit back and cross my legs and say, gee, we're going, this is good at the moment, so let's just keep it flying. Or make whatever other decision I need to do. You know, if I if I went back to I mentioned before that uh, when we lost the Ashes in 2005 in England, and and we came back, and of course um, it was time to change the coach, and so on. We had to go down and justify to the board why I should continue. I, I think three really important questions, therefore, that managers need to ask themselves. Um, first one for me was, could I still make a difference? Because that's just part of the way that I operate. It's part of my philosophy, part of my value set. Could I really still make a difference? And that wasn't just about, you know, changing a training time or a bit of a schedule here or, you know, straighten your tie up and all that sort of stuff. It was just still believing about Everest. It was still then, as I said before, creating this uh, new Everest, which was about the big three. So could I really still make a difference? Second was then, given I if I could make a difference, did I still really want to do it? You know, do I, do I still have the energy and desire um, to get up every day and really look forward to the job? As I said again before, you know, if you can't do that, then it doesn't take long for people to understand that you don't really want to be there. Mm. Uh, so did I still really have the enthusiasm and desire to make that change? And then the third question, given that we've been through a tough time, um, did I still have the respect of the majority of the, the players? You know, so if I had answered uh, no to any of those three questions, then I, I don't know whether I would have gone to the interview. And even if I had, I couldn't have sold myself or what it is that we were going to try and achieve. So, if you like, you know, that was a, a bit of a, uh, a shortened reaffirmation of who I was, how I operated, what I needed to do. To continue to do what I wanted to do, you know. So, but it still comes back to to me really being clear on on who you are and not compromising that, sticking with it. And you know, sometimes it's not going to work. It didn't work for me in a couple of places as a coach, you know, in India or, or in England for, for for different reasons. But yeah. the important thing yeah. for me is that I stuck with who I was because I just believed that if I wasn't able to do that then I wasn't coaching the way that I, one, I would believe that I should be coaching, but two, that I believe that the team or the organisation needed at that time. Yeah, yeah. 
John, look, I'm really looking forward to catching up in, a, in the April at the conference. And, you know, I hope everyone's taken a lot of notes. And I'll probably need to re-listen to this session today because there's so many. I've got so many notes here already just for myself. Buddy, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Really look forward to seeing it at uh, the Business Excellence Forum. I know everyone will get a lot of value out of it for themselves and their team. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you for listening to Master Mentors. Join us next week as Brad Sugars continues the search for people we can learn from together. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play so you don't miss out on these great lessons. You can also find more great learnings from Brad himself at bradsugarsblog.com. See you next time.